Welcome back to another exciting episode of the Apollo 13 Minute, a show where every day, Monday through Friday, we go over one minute of probably the greatest space history movie ever made, the 1995 Ron Howard-directed feature, Apollo 13. I'm one of your hosts, Jim O'Kane of tbdads.com. And I'm your other host. I'm Chris Henry of the EAA Aviation Museum. And uh, we're past the uh, what looked like was going to be the danger point of this this whole <laughs> show is that you know, they, they got through getting rid of the uh, the S2 engine and uh you know that that was that was their glitch for the mission as he said if only they knew <laughs> yeah if only they knew but you know if if nothing happened they wouldn't have an Apollo 13 movie you know it'd be called Apollo 14 and who you know <laughs> so it's it makes makes for good drama but anyway they uh they're they're heading into orbit and just just finishing up uh they said uh, standby for staging, and now they all know what they all know what's going to happen next with uh, standing by for staging. That they're going to get a, another kick in the pants, only this time from a, a, a single J two engine instead of five J two engines. Back on Earth, Ken Mattingly, his ears and his rib cage still intact, uh, is looking up at that that beautiful scene of the empty launch pad, and that really is how it looks. I mean, one of the one of the nice things after after launch when you watch the empty sky. Which they're they're not showing in this one, but we'll see it in the in the following minute. But there's there's this beautiful contrail that comes up from the, you know, up from the ground and just kind of points you on the way to space. And uh, I I always felt it especially on, on the, well, the Apollo missions, but really the shuttle was the big messier messier one with a lot of, um, yeah, you know, there's a lot a of stuff it, being parts being shed off and everything. Yeah, yeah, and it's it uh, those solid rocket boosters really were a cloudy mess and. They'd leave a big contrail in the sky. I mean, it was just a big, you know, it, it, you could model it with co- with uh, cotton, cotton wool, and just kind of <laughs> build it out into <laughs> into the sky. But it was it was always a beautiful thing. I'd, I'd see a lot of people uh, taking pictures. I know I have a couple of my own with uh, uh, with my wife, where we'd stand and get a picture of the contrail in the background. Everybody would be getting selfies of of the contrail because it's just such a magnificent sight. This big, almost like an exclamation mark, going up into the into the sky. It's kind of the final memory that you have—a physical image on from the ground of yeah. You you just really watch somebody go into space. You know, here we're 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 seeing the picture of Ken, and he's realizing that uh, you know they're they're on their way without him, and maybe he'll be cleared on a, on a future mission. But uh, he's not going on this one. Of course, you know, at the time Ken was in Houston, so this really doesn't count anyway. But uh, <laughs> it's all. It's all Hollywood on this part. Yeah, I, you yeah. know, I wonder. Just the, the car geek in me wonders if uh, the color of his Corvette is right. I should say uh, um, they messed yeah. up uh, uh, Jim's. I'd love to know. I'm gonna have to do a little. I'm gonna, we're gonna have to reach out and ask him. Hopefully, yeah. we can have him on a later episode, and we'll ask him here on the show. Yeah, I remember. I mean, the most famous ones were the uh, the Apollo 12 astronauts had those uh, those ones that were designed by Al Bean. With the uh, the it had like a black uh, a Landau on the on the doors where they have their their ranks you know CMP and yeah uh, I love Dick uh, I, I can't remember if it was Dick Gordon or Albine that said when they 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 ordered the cars they were all excited when they got there they looked awful <laughs> and uh, they were just gold Corvettes and they wanted to add something and Albine had had come up with that design and painted them on so 
Uh, they really liked them then, but um, but yeah, the the original car wasn't supposed to have that. It was just supposed to be their cars, and they yeah. weren't a fan of just the gold the gold scheme. Yeah, and I've I've always thought. I mean, maybe maybe it's just because of Prince, but you know, it, it, Corvettes are supposed to be red. To me, you got to have a red Corvette. That's the that's the, <laughs> that's the kind of car to have. So Prince writes about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I I don't know. I don't know if there were any astronauts that had red Corvettes. I mean, that seems to be not as popular. I've, I've seen uh, Al Shepard's. Al Shepard's was white. One of the older, yeah, Al Shepard's was white. One of the, I believe one of Gus Grissom's Corvettes was red. Hmm. I'd have to go back and look at that again, but I'm pretty sure one of Gus's, Gus had a red Corvette at one point. Could be wrong, but there's somebody did have a red one. It was an earlier style. It wasn't this uh, the late 60s. It was more of a early 60s, a Stingray. Yeah, um, yeah, but yeah, yeah. It had that that tail on the yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm I'm sure somewhere out on Facebook there is an astronaut Corvette owners society where all these people uh, talk back and forth about their their different equipment and keeping it keeping it up to date and stuff. It must be a it must be a difficult thing. I mean, you know, you wanna you wanna restore it and make sure that it's it's in good shape, but you don't wanna you know you don't wanna wind up with uh, like George Washington's axe where you've <laughs> Replace the handle three times and the the head four times, so it's just just keeping it keeping it together and keeping it nice must be a, a difficult task. So Gus, uh, I just looked. Gus did uh, uh, have a red '62 Corvette, ooh, um, convertible, and then he also had a '67. Um, so he had at one point he did indeed have a a, a red one. Wow. And then, uh, and you know, interestingly enough, both Dick Gordon and Al Bean's Apollo 12 Corvette still survive. Wow. We knew Al Bean's was around for the last few years, and then Dick Gordon's just got discovered, uh, and I believe is undergoing a restoration. Uh, Al oh. Bean's is still in original condition. I mean, the car is just gorgeous. Oh, wow. Just, yeah, amaz- amazing looking vehicles. And, you know, if you're going to have... If you're gonna be an astronaut, you gotta have like a vet, something futuristic looking. Something looks like you're you're gonna break the sound barrier on Earth. You know, you <laughs> want to take it out to Bonneville or something. What I liked is the people that said they grew up in Cocoa Beach, and if anybody listens that maybe was down there could remember this. But you know, they said that when you were you were down at either at Cocoa Beach or in Houston, wherever uh, uh, the, the astronauts were, that if you saw one of those Corvettes coming, you kind of looked to see which one it was because you knew it might be one of the astronauts. Uh, wow. It was kind of a signature thing. So I, I remember talking to somebody who told me that story. Wow. That's, that's kind of like a, the, there's a thing called the Hollywood look. If, if you go to Hollywood, if you're anywhere in uh, you know, either Studio City or Hollywood or even Santa Monica sometimes. But when, you're in, when you walk into a fancy restaurant, like if you go to a, you know, the equivalent of a Sardi's or something like that, if you, if you walk into places, everybody in the restaurant turns around to see if you're somebody. And it's it's just a weird th- it's huh. a weird thing. I mean, there's so many celebrity sighting places that people are. You know, oh, is, who's that? Do you know who that is? It looked like you know. I guess that that's the Cocoa Beach version of it is watching for the watching for the Corvettes and figuring out which which astronaut it was. Yeah. And we, by the way, are not being sponsored by Chevy in any way. No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I have about the farthest thing from a Chevy in my, in my garage. Yeah. But it's. It's uh, it's uh, did you, by the way, I, I, how did your uh, I, I think we had mentioned this briefly on uh, last week that you were getting your your car uh, uh <laughs> touched up. Did it come out yeah, okay? Yeah, it came out okay. They were able to fix my uh, car. Somebody put a ding in my Challenger, and uh, uh, 
yeah, it makes me never want to go to the grocery store again. But yeah, yeah, just, they were able to fix it, so I'm 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 a happy guy. <laughs> yeah, well, you gotta get maybe maybe for Christmas you can get a like four of those little plastic pylons and just have them in the in the trunk <laughs> yeah, and then take them out when when you park. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I could imagine taking one of those old Corvettes somewhere. I'd uh, I I probably would not leave the car. <laughs> yeah, no. I, I, my my wife says that uh, she wants to get me like gates with uh, you know the, the 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 little velvet ropes that when you park the car you just put the velvet ropes around and uh, they you know get no closer. Yeah. Uh, anyway, well, well, it's you know it's it's an interesting side. This is not exactly Apollo thirteen, but it is an interesting side note into astronaut lives. Again, another another beautiful six seconds of uh, of digital domain doing what they do best. I mean, considering this is 1995, that is a fantastic bit of uh, of animation. I'm I'm assuming that it's not that it's not a model, but uh, you know, with the word digital domain in your in your uh, in your company logo, that I would think that that's all digital. It's just uh, uh, a beautiful yeah. job. The 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 matching the. I'm assuming it's a real plate of of Earth orbits somewhere. They have a you know medium format. Uh, picture of Earth orbit uh, of, of of Earth from orbit. Yeah, it's, um, that's uh, it's definitely it's gorgeous though. However, uh, you know, however, whatever magic goes into that, we have to have somebody from them come on or something. But yeah, yeah, uh, uh, there's a lot there. But uh, yeah, the the S two has done its job, uh, except for well, the middle engine kind of took the day off. But uh, off they go with their with the S four B continuing on and. As mentioned in the previous minute, the since the center engine went out, they had to burn the um, S4B for another 34 seconds, which uses up more fuel. On uh, or it, 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 they they had to they had to use up the extra fuel in the uh, in the S2 to to move further. So where the S4B starts up, it might be a little bit low on velocity. So they'll they'll try to catch catch up with that a bit with the s4b and they'll use a little bit more fuel um but they just kind of round out that little their their velocity uh, graph and, and get back on back on the road to where they were expecting to be and taking only 34 seconds more uh, on the second stage so they're they're the first thing they do is figure out the mission elapsed time is going to change a little bit because they have to figure out where the where the tli is going to come up as, as they enter diff- at a different moment and then uh, they announced the shutdown of the uh, secondary engine, the Seco, is what uh, Fred, Fredo calls out. And uh, Fred, he does say it rather uh, enthusiastically because it's, you know, he gets he finally has a job there on the right hand side of the, the screen. Well, they all they all have a job. I mean, the the lunar module yeah. pilot is responsible for making sure the the health of the systems. He's he's reading all the gauges and things and watching all the the pressures. I mean, a lot of the a lot of the uh, meters are on his side of the of of the dashboard so he's kind of their flight engineer an important role that uh oddly enough is vanishing from airplanes <laughs> is the flight engineer so yeah yeah nobody nobody gets that third seat you know it's it's now the uh the standby <laughs> yeah the, the, the standby so but you know he had something to do and, and he did that off they are rocketing into orbit now and uh, this would be jim's fourth time in earth or orbit he was you know, coming up twice in Gemini, and uh, then Apollo eight, and now here he is on thirteen. I always love the. Uh, it's a it's a quote that I I shamelessly steal uh, when we do something, whether it's been working on air ambulance, whether it was air traffic, or even here at EAA, is uh, when things just all come together. I always say, and that gentleman is how we do that. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, it just. Uh, I, I'm not even. 
not even shameless about it, man. I, I just, uh, um, <laughs> it's just a great quote. <laughs> yeah. And um, I, I'm sorry, I, I think this may be the first gentleman. There's somebody told when I told I can't remember who it was now. Somebody told me when I was telling them that we're going to do the Apollo 13 minute. They said, "Well, you can talk about the gentleman drinking game." I said, "What's that?" He said, "Well, anytime somebody says gentleman, you take a drink." And I think oh, this is the first. Oh, yeah, this it is. is the, an, yeah, yeah, because he says this line a couple times in the movie. Yeah, yeah, and, and then of course there's the famous one toward the end of the film and. Yeah, and um, gentlemen, what are your intentions? And yeah, interesting. Yeah, I never noticed that. Uh, we'll well, well, we can watch. start that for future episodes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So here, the, the count so far, minute thirty-nine is one one gentleman. One gentleman. <laughs> so uh, okay. Well, well, we'll keep uh, we'll keep an eye on that. But he, uh, yeah. So they 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 get into space, and uh, gosh, that beautiful that beautiful scene of the. Uh, I, I love, uh, it, you know, if you want to make a scene more dynamic, roll the camera, and even though you know, even though we're watching the the engine shut off, rolling the camera as the uh, uh, the S4B and the, and the command service modules disappear in the distance. It's such a beautiful dynamic shot. Um, yeah. And and then we get to uh, you know one of the one of the pioneering events in this particular movie's production was uh, filming in zero gravity. They managed to get into a uh, I I think the particular vomit comet they were using was a KC135, but I may be wrong. Wow, that uh, my, I wonder if that's the same one that uh, is now at Ellington. Don't I don't know. Um, it would be interesting. Hopefully, if if one of the speaking of gentlemen, if one of the gentlemen that's that's in this in this movie would come on, maybe we can get some more information about how, how yeah. they film that. Yeah, exactly. And uh, the, you know, this one little scene that they do is where uh, they start letting go of their uh, their equipment, and it's just bouncing all over the screen with no wires and no digital effect. It's just they're in a plane in a in a shallow dive, and they're they're throwing hardware all over the place, and probably doing three or four takes of it in a day. Well, maybe um, we need to get one of the vomit comet pilots to come on. Yeah, that would be that. Well, you you must have some somebody yeah, in your Rolodex yeah, let's, somewhere. Let's, let's uh, okay. Yeah, we'll make a call. <laughs> we'll, we'll check. We'll check. Yeah, we'll check out on that. Yeah, and we've you've been in a plane with acrobatic maneuvers, right, Chris? Have oh you ever, yeah, yeah. yeah. Some that uh, don't have it, but yet we somehow yeah. did them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've I was I was in one where they accidentally um, you know set off the G meter on the on the rental and they got you know had a had a deposit problem. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> well, it, yeah. I mean, you can. I mean, anybody that's ever you know gone flying, even in an airliner, airliner is a little tougher. You don't feel it necessarily as much, but in a small plane, you could you could definitely. Uh, even just briefly yeah, simulate that a little bit, but I couldn't imagine doing it in something as large as a the the vomit comet, which is a you know DCA uh, or KC135 or Boeing 707. Yeah, um, yeah, that would be a pretty pretty wild ride. <laughs> yeah, and from what I understand, what I understand that uh, some astronauts had tried, like in their T38s, they had tried to do the simulations because you do that parabolic thing where you. You pull it up short, and then it's almost a stall. But as you fall, as you, as you lean lean the stick forward, you fall really hard. Like you're pointing a little bit more than toward the ground. You're pointing like uh, behind you, as as you come down. And they couldn't, but you still have to have you know air blowing through your, <laughs> through your yeah. uh, your turbines. Um, and a lot of the astronauts couldn't get the parabolic sequence right to do it inside of a T-38. I didn't realize it was that difficult to maneuver. Yeah, me neither, and especially something you could pull off in a large airplane like the, you know, 
a 135. That, that's pretty interesting. Yeah, right. yeah. It's um, from from what I understand that the the difficulty is in a in in a in a you know in a plane like a T thirty three or a T thirty eight, you still have to have thrust for your turbines, and if you you can't exactly stall it, but you got to lean it forward so that you're accelerating toward the ground, but only at thirty two feet per second per second, just to just to maintain the zero gravity inside and. The problem there is when you're pointing at the ground and you've got thrust going on, you're still going to be providing like a, a forward G-force uh, or or you'll just catch up with yourself and you'll be actually being, you know, you'll be falling out of your seat as you're as you're pulling up on it. So you're still, you don't cancel out the G. It, it's harder to cancel out on a small plane than in a big plane. I, I don't know. I am not a pilot, so I don't, <laughs> don't know all these things. But if, uh, you know, it, it's supposed to be a lot easier in a bigger plane. Interesting. Ah, that's pretty wild. I love the old footage of the astronauts. For those who don't know what the Vomit Comet is, it's a airplane with a padded interior that they would go up and do a maneuver where they could simulate some zero gravity. and It's kind of a simulated effect where they kind of become weightless, I guess. And uh, you can actually watch some archive footage, which is interesting, of some of the astronauts training and, and things like that. It's pretty funny. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, and, and they said that uh, it's one of the few places like you can't you can't figure out who's going to get space sick, but yeah, one of the one of the signs is if you have a problem in the vomit comet, you're almost definitely going to have a problem in space. Yeah, um, so, and and for those who don't know, they actually took some of the sets and put them in the vomit comet, and they filmed the zero gravity scene. So when you see some of the weightless scenes in the movie, they are the scene that's that's where some of them were shot. They're actually simulating uh, being in space, which is. Uh, kind of unheard of i would think jim that uh not a lot of movies get a chance to do that and film yeah uh, in the, in this technique yeah no i mean I, I can't imagine that it's cheap i mean i don't know how long it how much does it cost to rent a uh a 707 or a dc9 to you know to, to do this stuff <laughs> and you know you still had to build a set and you had to make sure that the set was you know was safe i mean if you're if you're climbing into a, a command module that's inside of a plane with a camera running, and you remember these are not, this wasn't filmed in the age of digital cameras. This is filmed in the age of film cameras. So you had lots of film that needed to be loaded, and uh, they would, you know, climb to whatever whatever altitude needed to be done, and then they'd point the ship at that in that parabola, get thirty to forty seconds to film, and then you got to reset and do another do another take. Figure when they when they came to the bottom of that that bottom of that that drop uh all those things the helmets and the gloves and everything that they were taking off were about to you know ricochet around the cabin or bounce to the bottom and you had to worry about are you going to break the mask or you know you're going to break the helmet are you going to break the the gloves how how much is it going to take i'm assuming that even the scene that we're seeing here there's only like it's about 10 seconds but if you notice that the, the cuts are only lasting about three or four seconds per shot I'm assuming multiple cameras, many drops, and uh, yeah. oof. <laughs> I couldn't imagine. We'll have to. Yeah, be yeah. In, it'll be interesting to talk to somebody who was involved in the filming of that part, these sequences. Yeah. Um, one of the things I always thought about is, you know, when you were on the ground and you see them getting ready for the mission, and there's, you know, there's people helping each of them getting ready, and now they go up in space, and then they take their suits off, and then they have to put them back on to go. And it was like, how hard was that? I wonder. Yeah, um, trying to redress to get in back into your spacesuit to go, you know, down to the lunar surface. That that seems like that would to me that would be a concern of how do I get back in this thing without being on the ground with all the people helping. I mean, they must have helped each other, I assume. 
Yeah, I would I would think that I mean there's there's uh I know in in the lunar module they needed help putting on their plus pack the personal life support systems. Uh they couldn't do that themselves. Even in the one sixth gravity, it's just a bulky thing. You need somebody to kind of like hang it on you. So and, and I mean imagine trying to do it in a lunar module where there's barely enough room to uh to turn around, you know, not wearing the suit and just imagine, you know, you're yeah. you're all bulked out and <laughs> Uh, and then you don't want to break the door so that, you know, uh, it's, it, well, we'll, we'll talk about that in a, in a future minute about, <laughs> about the lunar module. But, yeah, it's got to be uh, really difficult. Although, you know, in weightlessness, it might not be, it might not be as arduous trying to, trying to lift. I mean, this was a 76 I, pounds of suit. Yeah, although it seems like that would, it would make it harder being weightless. So, yeah. you know, trying to float around and put this thing on seems like that would be even worse. Yeah, strap yourself in and. That's what we gotta um, ask when we, you know, how do you put your pants on in space? That's our next, yeah, uh, yeah. our next yeah, topic. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, if we can get a, if if we get, yeah, one of the astronauts on, we, I'm sure. Yeah, we'll get Fredo back or Jim, and yeah. that's, the first, that's the first question I'm asking: yeah. is how do you put your pants on in space? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> left foot, right, left leg, right leg. What's going on? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I mean I, I I've seen I've seen the command modules and they have those two big fluorescent lights, but I can't get over how perfectly lit everybody is. They seem to have a lot more light than uh, than I would think that you would have inside of the command module. You had just those, those big two floodlights that were over just above where those shock absorber poles were. But it just seems like this is extremely well lit. Yeah, it does. I'd have to look into that. Um, I guess we'd have to look at interior shots of, you know, in space and see what it looks like. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as, as far as I know, there's three interior command module lights. There's the two floods in between the two seats, you know, above the above the shock absorbers and then there's one in the lower equipment bay just over where the uh um the little eyepieces that they look to to do the, you know, spotting uh, celestial objects that they, so they can do the na- navigation with but uh generally it, it was a pretty dark ship uh, except oh of course you know you had sunlight streaming through the window so i'm sure that that kind of made up for it but, uh yeah it's uh I don't know if the uh, if the movie lighting was like that. In, it in it looks life. like it was a little bit better. I'm looking at a couple pictures here. Uh, just like I just did a quick search and well, I don't know. Here's a picture of Apollo Seven and it's pretty well lit inside. And this is yeah. during the mission, so I, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I there mean, was well, one there that looks we... a little darker, and I guess maybe some of the natural light, like you said. Yeah. Um, but the, this picture of Apollo Seven is a picture of Walt Cunningham, and it's it looks very similar to the movie. So I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Well, they had good cinematographers in space, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I'll start that thread. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. No. We'll we'll we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll take an off ramp on that one. Yeah. But uh, yeah, just uh, yeah, it, it is just a beautiful way to introduce zero gravity, and especially when you think about there's two rookies on this ship, and although they've been on the vomit comet, you know, the idea that you're going to be spending two weeks weightless floating around like this that would explain the explain the big dumb grins on uh on freddo there it was as he's watching watching stuff go going along that must be a just a, an exhilarating experience and also thinking about how much time they've waited through all of uh project gemini to be up in space and they you know they watched all the earlier missions and they've done capcom and back backup missions and here they are you know up heading for the moon they're gonna you know Fredo's going to walk on the moon, and, and Jack Swagger's finally going to fly a, a command module to the moon and possibly get his own command when he gets back. Quite an exhilarating time, just career-wise, uh, let alone just you know the the ability to to achieve your dreams. I mean, this is a this is a great moment in their lives, I would think. I couldn't but, imagine. I couldn't imagine the 
I mean, you know, Al Bean uh, described it to me as Apollo. You know, on Apollo 12, he said that it was very much like your mom gave you the coolest hot rod in the world, the keys uh, to the car, and then said, "Take uh, an amazing road trip and take two of your buddies with you." And yeah. he said that was that was Apollo 12. <laughs> wow. So, I mean, I imagine it was the same type of feeling on 13, and and, yeah. and you know, and probably all of them. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's just a, it's just, it, it ends here on a great moment. So, uh, well, we we can end here on a great moment too. I think let's let's come back tomorrow and we'll see where where, where they're headed. Now they're gonna get get ready to go into uh, uh, interplanetary space as they head you know, or cislunar space as the as the technical term. But we'll we'll talk about that a little bit more tomorrow. Uh, for folks who have missed any of the previous episodes, or if you want to go listen to uh, our best moments, uh, go check out Apollo Thirteen Minute dot com, Apollo One Three Minute dot com. You can download previous episodes and read uh, summaries of other minutes. Uh, you can find us online at uh, if you want to get us delivered hot and fresh every day. Go to iTunes, go to Google Play, or whatever your favorite podcast delivery system is. Uh, type Apollo Thirteen Minute in the search bar, and then press subscribe, and you'll get it delivered Monday through Friday. Uh, if you'd like to talk back with us, we're always available on the social media. Go check us out on Twitter, Apollo 13 Minute, or on Facebook, the Apollo 13 Minute Mission Control. We'll be back here tomorrow to talk more about uh, how the mission's going, and it's going pretty good so far. So uh, we'll see you tomorrow. Looks like uh lost the signal in about 30 seconds, so catch us here tomorrow on the Apollo 13 Minute.